You're listening to Labor Express Radio News for Working People by Working People. A few months ago, UE General President Kyle Rosen broke my heart with the news I had been dreading to hear for some time now. The union has decided to sell historic UE Hall at 37 South Ashland. It was certainly not surprising. As Carl was explained in the following interview, the hall had begun its life in the early 20th century as a club for Carl's wealthy West Side elite. As that elite abandoned the city mid-century and as South Ashland Avenue became a working-class area, the union purchased the building in the 40s. By the early 21st century, the elite had returned and regentrification has transformed the area around Dewey Hall into a neighborhood of high-priced condos and skyrocketing property taxes. It therefore only makes sense for the union, rather than pouring money into the ailing structure, to sell it and reinvest those funds in new organizing and to find a new home among Chicago's remaining working-class communities. UE Hall has a place in the hearts of anyone who spent any time active in Chicago's labor movement. It has been an organizing center for so many of the labor struggles in this city for the past seven decades. Not just those of UE, the United Electrical Workers Union, but for so many unions and so many workers' centers and workers' struggles. Few places have opened themselves up to hosting labor militants, radicals, social movement activists, and others the way UE Hall has. There's a very personal history here as UE Hall has been the home for both Labor Beat TV and Labor Express Radio for our entire 30-year-plus existence. I met up with Carl a few days ago for what will likely be one of my final visits to the hall. We discussed the history of the building and in particular murals that decorate the inside walls of the structure. Well, uh, in terms of the building, UE uh, bought the building in 1947. Before then, it had a, a single owner, which was the West End Women's Club, which was kind of, you know, the upper crust who lived around this time, uh, this area in the time really starting uh, just after the Chicago fire when the industrialists had their mansions. Uh, uh, you can still see some of the brownstones on the, on the streets around here. Um, and uh, this was where they had their soirees, et cetera. But they also uh, had various other types of events. But by uh, the 1940s, the wealthy were all gone from here. You know, they were all up in Wilmette and Winnetka and wherever else. Uh, and, uh, and we bought the, uh, the uh, building uh, at, uh, at a pretty low price, I, I think, uh, uh, at that time, uh, and have been in here ever since, and it served our members very well, although it, it is true that, unfortunately, at this point, with the gentrification in the neighborhood, the wealthy have come back to some extent. Uh, it doesn't make as much sense for us to, to be here, and so we probably will be uh, uh, moving on here. But, uh, uh, you know, the, the mural... Um, <coughs> excuse me... Uh, uh, got painted in late 1973, early 1974. Uh, basically, uh, it was an outgrowth of the uh, public art mural movement that had started um, in, the, in the previous few years. Uh, it grew out of uh, uh, mural movements in Southern California that were uh, largely based in the Latino communities, and then mural movements in Chicago that were largely uh, based in the African-American community. And, you know, the best known start for that was William Walker's Wall of Respect on the on the South Side, um, and um, and all of it uh, had its roots really uh, in Diego Rivera and the murals of the 1930s. With you know the idea, this is people's art. It's about real people doing real things. It's not bourgeois art, um, and uh, and you know it had class consciousness to it, um, and so. Uh, folks were doing, starting to do that around Chicago in different places, and some folks said uh, we should really do something with the labor union uh, if we're going to make a difference uh, here and bring about real change. Uh, we we need 
you know, the organized uh, parts of the working class involved in it. Uh, but they looked around and most of the labor movement at that point was not at all in sync with them. Uh, these were folks who uh, had uh, come of age during the civil rights and women's rights um, uh, the movements uh, and certainly the anti-Vietnam War movement and most labor unions at that time uh, had the wrong position on all of those things. Uh, UE, however, did not due to our uh, history uh, as being one of the original CIO unions who kept the original uh, CIO principles and, and approach and, and uh, understanding of, of class struggle unionism uh, and what that meant in terms of uh, fighting to unite the working class across all of those uh, divisions, uh, et cetera. So they found us and said, can we paint a mural in your building? And we said, uh, sure, uh, but you know, we don't really have money for that. Uh, we don't have a fine arts budget. Uh, we were uh, just getting by on what we could. Uh, and they said, okay, we'll donate the labor if you can buy the paint, uh, I, I think is what happened. And that's what was done. And it was led by uh, John Weber, um, who was starting to become a, a, a somewhat known muralist and artist. He became an art professor eventually and continued to paint murals and continues to be involved in the organization. He founded it, helped found at that time the Chicago Mural Group, which became the Chicago Public Art Group, which exists to this day and does all kinds of great stuff. And then Jose Guerrero, who we sort of uh, brought on um, and apprenticed him on this mural. And then Jose went on to do lots of other uh, murals, particularly in Pilsen. Um, Jose unfortunately uh, passed away a couple of years ago. Uh, John is still at it. Um, and uh, Jose had been, was working full time as a factory worker and he illustrated the, uh, with cartoons their shop newsletter. And John ran into him at some political meetings and saw some of what he was doing and said, hey, you ought to be doing more than this. And uh, he brought him in and uh, uh, showed him the ropes and Jose helped a lot. So they're listed as the two main muralists on this, but there were a whole bunch of other folks who uh, dropped in and helped, including William Walker, uh, who you know was, was the legendary muralist at that point. Uh, and, uh, and they uh, sat down with the union leadership at UE District 11 and the locals that were here and you know kind of asked who was who and what was what and tell some stories and from that they uh, created this great mural. So uh, the first thing you see when you walk in um, is a UE logo with uh, four hands of different races grasped in solidarity. And uh, it, it really is important that that's the initial message because that's the, that's the point of the CIO that you united all workers in an industry uh, regardless of uh, of uh, your skill level, your uh, your race, your gender, et cetera. And it was always fundamental to UE. So it's, it's, a, it's a great thing that they were able to crystallize that in a piece of art like that. Uh, here, then you next see the dedication uh, with a great quote from Frederick Douglass, if there is no struggle, there is no progress. Uh, certainly uh, uh, represents, uh, you know, UE's understanding of how the world works. Um, and then you see, uh, you see a couple of bosses who were kind of cowering here, uh, protecting uh, behind them uh, the, the safe uh, uh, labeled BIPCO uh, as the name of the company, and they've got their hoard of gold and cash. Um, and uh, so their, their generic uh, management, uh, and that BIPCO is actually a little homage to Fred Wright, who was a legendary uh, union cartoonist most of, his most of his adult life for UE from shortly after World War II, I think. Uh, until he retired, uh, I think, into the 70s. 
Um, and, uh, and whenever he needed a generic company uh, for a cartoon, he called it Pipco. Mm -hmm. And so they, they used that uh, here, which was great. And these bosses are cowering uh, because uh, there are a whole bunch of uh, union folks who are in their face demanding that they uh, sign the contract. And, and these are all uh, actual people from that time, including uh, Ernie DeMeo, who was president of UE District 11, uh, eventually, uh, he, he was one of the first organizers on UE staff in the 1930s, uh, had already been doing a lot of working class organizing uh, in Connecticut, where he was from originally before that. Uh, and uh, he was a, a major leader of the progressive section of the Chicago labor movement and, and actually nationally, uh, including that when he retired from UE, he went on to become the representative to the United Nations from the World Federation of Trade Unions, which was, uh, you know, at that time uh, in the 1970s, still a very substantial organization. Uh, standing over uh, his shoulders, Jack Birch, uh, who was the uh, head of the big amalgamated local, which in the 19, late 40s uh, represented over 50,000 workers in all kinds of, uh, you know, metalworking uh, shops, electrical parts shops, et cetera, in the Chicago area. Uh, a lot of them, uh, unfortunately, uh, got stolen uh, during the McCarthy era raids, uh, but it was still, you know, a, a going concern as a, as a local. And uh, he, Jack, actually uh, ran uh, soon after this mural was uh, painted for national office. Uh, he was the first uh, African-American candidate for national office in UE. Uh, he didn't quite make it, although uh, um, a, a later UE district president, uh, Bob Clark from Milwaukee, um, did, uh, uh, who, you know, who, who worked here out of this hall too, he was the District 11 president, he, uh, he did get elected to national office as, as our first uh, African-American uh, national officer. So we had a long tradition here in, in this Midwest region of, of uh, pushing that um, forward. Uh, and behind Jack is uh, Francis Mihalich, who was a leader at Stuart Warner when it was a UE shop in the 1940s. Uh, and they suffered very directly uh, the McCarthy era raids, where uh, one of the one of the McCarthy era committees came in uh, when, of course, all was timed. So it was when there was a dispute going on between the company and the union, and all of a sudden this McCarthy type committee shows up and subpoenas the entire union leadership. This is the way they did it. Uh, and the Chicago Tribune was uh, nice enough to then uh, print a front page story. Uh, that not only said these folks had all been subpoenaed as potential Reds, uh, but listed their names, uh, which uh, essentially then blacklisted them from getting other jobs in manufacturing. So uh, Francis uh, ended up coming to work for the union and, and ran uh, UE Hall here in Chicago for decades until, until she retired. Um, and then behind her are a couple other folks who were... Uh, uh, also uh, assisting on, uh, on UE staff at that time. And then uh, kind of into the next panel here is Florence Criley, who is an absolute legend nationally as an organizer. She was based here in Chicago, but uh, did great work throughout the country. Uh, she was part of a, kind of the fire brigade that had to uh, try to you know, save as many shops as they could during the raids. Um, and... Uh, uh, but she also did a lot of work here in Chicago. Um, I always like to say she's the one you can see doing the work. She's out early in the morning passing out leaflets at a shop gate. Um, and uh, unfortunately, we lost her not too many years after this. Uh, 
in fact, a, a lot of the folks in these murals passed away uh, not a long time so uh, later, so it was very good that the muralists captured them when they did. Uh, so, yeah, these are folks going into a factory, obviously, um, to, to work for the day, but also to organize for the union. One of the things you should note is um, all of the nice touches where the muralists built the building into the right. into the mural. So right right here, you've got a pillar painted in to support a structure that's actually here, yeah. uh, supporting the, uh, uh, the floor above. Uh, the, the bosses back there are leaning against a wall, but the wall is actually a pillar that's built into, into the building. There's all kinds of, uh, they had to spend a lot of time thinking about how to make everything right. work and wrap around a stairwell, et cetera. This uh, next panel is uh, sort of what's going on in the world and the forces of good and evil. Um, and so what you have on top, the oppressors, uh, you know, you've got the Southern Sheriff, the KKK, uh, sort of the military industrial complex personified. You've got the bank, the factory, BIPCO again. They've got their safe. You've got a, a fascist uh, 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 leader of some sort, which, you know, at that time, Latin America was filled with fascist dictatorships. Um, you've got uh, what appear to be like National Guard, but with gas masks and, and, uh, and guns in their hands. Uh, you know, at that time, the National Guard was primarily known for uh, repressing uh, uh, protests and, you know, literally killing people at Kent State and Mississippi State. And, and uh, you know, didn't have the image it does today of being the people who come in and help you when you have a flood or fire or something in your area. Uh, and then there's, uh, so they're, they're above and who they're, uh, so first of all, there's also, you can see a tank uh, running under them, a military tank, and it's crushing the body of a person who I, I think is to symbolize uh, uh, probably somebody from, from Vietnam, because uh, mm -hmm. this was the tail end of the Vietnam War. Um, and then below, the, the platform are workers of the world uh, literally being oppressed, uh, but also fighting back. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, John Weber tells me he took that image from, uh, he, he took that image from a, a cartoonist, uh, a left labor cartoonist who always used that kind of image of, of a worker fighting back. Then uh, this next panel uh, was actually uh, Done at a UE uh, is based on a UE shop at that time, a drop forge called Amforge, in the uh, uh, south suburbs. Uh, was originally an FE shop, farm equipment union, um, and you know I like to say FE was even more militant than UE in a lot of ways. They had some direct roots coming out of the IWW, coming out of you know coming out of the struggles around Haymarket in the 1880s. There's a, a absolute through line there. Um, and uh, they got torn to shreds. You know, there were 11 unions uh, that refused to kowtow to the right wing, uh, to the corporate agenda uh, at the uh, onset of the McCarthy era, and nine of the 11 got destroyed, and the only two that survived were UE and the West Coast Longshore. And FE is one, unfortunately, lost. Uh, but in the course of it being destroyed, parts of it came into UE. Some of it stayed in UE, like this shop, uh, and the one that I came out of... Uh, uh, Phoenix Closures, which became Kerr Glass on, a, on the near southwest side. That was Local 190. Uh, there were a few others. Uh, but there was also a big chunk that kind of passed on through and ended up in, in the auto workers 
uh, kind of in the second set of raids, uh, the mainstreaming raids, and that's a, another whole piece of history uh, that did not work out well for, uh, for, for the workers involved, unfortunately. Um, but uh, the, the muralists went down to the, uh, to the shop uh, to, to get, you know, uh, a sense of, of things. They, they wanted to take photos. The company said, no, there's industrial secrets here, which was, of course, ridiculous. By the 1970s, there were no industrial secrets around the steel industry uh, in the U.S. because they had stopped investing in the steel industry here decades earlier, uh, and it started pouring everything into alternative uh, uh, businesses or investing overseas, uh, one or the other. Uh, but uh, the, the muralists uh, in, instead uh, did sketches and uh, apparently uh, caught everything very well. Um, so you see the workers here doing the work um, and uh, dealing with the hot fire and putting the, the steel into it, uh, etc. Uh, they did such a good job that apparently uh, somebody from uh, the company came out to see it after it was done and thought it was such a great rendition that they uh, sent a, uh, a professional photographer here to take photos, which then hung in their lobby. <laughs> so we, we couldn't take photos in their shop, uh, but they wanted photos from here, uh, you know, fairly typical. Uh, but there's also a couple of the workers um, up here giving hell to the bad guys uh, from the previous wall. And also there's a little vignette on this uh, previous wall uh, which they added because uh, as, they, as the mural was already well underway, the coup took place in Chile. Uh -huh. and, um, and word started coming back that uh, trade unionists were being rounded up, uh, taken to the stadium in Santiago and tortured and, and then either killed or, uh, or deported. Um, and it was just a very bad situation. And Ernie DeMeo, who was down on the, at the beginning, uh, uh, got together with another U.S. trade unionist and flew to Santiago to try to see if they could intervene, save some lives, you know, reduce the repression, etc. Um, instead, uh, as soon as they got into their hotel, the military police showed up and told them they weren't leaving the hotel except to go to one place, which was to plane back to the U.S. Mm -hmm. So they came back and they told the story to the muralist, and the muralist wanted to, you know, make some note notation of that. So they had a little little piece of uh, wall here that they could use as a canvas to show a soldier uh, rounding people off and up and marching them off. Uh, I especially like to uh, show that when we have groups here from the University of Chicago, which we do occasionally, including the graduate workers we recently organized, mm -hmm. and, and be able to, uh, uh, be able to uh, tell them, uh, you know, that was thanks in no small part to the Chicago boys, the University of Chicago economists who, uh, yeah. who uh, helped uh, uh, you know, generate what that regime did there. Of course, the CIA helped pave the way for it too. Um, so um, the next section here is uh, kind of general workers in struggle, uh, the working class in struggle. You can see sign in Spanish uh, and, uh, you know, speaking, uh, uh, you know, strike against injustice will win. Uh, you know, UE throughout our history has... Uh, had a uh, significant immigration immigrant part of the workforce, and we've always stood up for the rights of immigrants and, and you know, it, it, to, to make sure that uh, they're being organized rather than uh, uh, vilified, as uh, unfortunately it, too many times other unions have done. Um, and then we've, uh, there's the down with speed up, which was the, you know, fight in, in factories at all times. It's 
actually to fight in places like UPS where that struggle is going on, right? Where, right. where uh, they're always being made to, to do more each day. Uh, they've got solidarity banner above them and, and then a, uh, a dove, the bird of peace. Uh, and the fight for peace has always you know, been part of, uh, of UE's DNA also. Um, and then coming up to uh, the second floor landing here. Uh, so first, uh, across the top, they, they literally just painted in the words from the UE preamble to our constitution, uh, you know, back from 1936, but it rings just as true today. It talks about uniting all workers on an industrial basis. That was a fundamental idea of the CIO. Um, Rank and file control, that was the bottom-up democracy that UE was known for and continues to be known for. And then, you know, the list of, of areas that we don't discriminate based on, uh, it's, it's radical. To some extent, it's almost radical today. It was certainly radical in the 1930s, regardless of craft, age, sex, nationality, race, creed, or political beliefs. And all of those things were important. And part of the reason we were able to survive uh, the McCarthy area was, was because uh, people did internalize that just because somebody is calling somebody else a name, you know, with a political uh, uh, connotation or red or whatever else, uh, that's not what determined whether they ought to be part of the union, whether they could be leader of the union, et cetera. What determined that is did they help fight the boss? That's what the union is for. And, and that, that's where the point of unity comes from. Um, and then lastly, and pursue at all times a policy of aggressive struggle to improve our conditions. And I think we're really well known for that. And, uh, you know, I, I uh, like to, over the last decade, is walking people around looking at this, I point to uh, uh, what we did at Republic Windows and Doors, sure. where, you know, uh, everything that we had to do there for the workers to win is stuff that was, uh, you know, not allowed. It's against the rules. Um, and you can't occupy a plant, you can't do this, you can't do that. But the rule book is such that the last rule is always workers lose. Uh, so if you follow the rule book, that's what's gonna happen. And instead, uh, we fight, we do aggressive struggle. Um, and then we have uh, the three national officers of UE uh, from the 40s through, um, through the early 70s, basically, uh, who kind of took us through the McCarthy era to survive and then uh, began to really rebuild the union in the 60s when there was an upsurge in organizing again uh, and, and then uh, continuing into the struggles to come, uh, including at the, uh, the, the, at, at the uh, end to the right in the corner, uh, Jim Matlas, who was a Hungarian immigrant and, um, and the government repeatedly tried to deport him during the 1950s, uh, just like um, with the West Coast Longshore, the, uh, the uh, government kept trying to deport Harry Bridges, who was an immigrant from Australia. Right. Um, and it, it, they were purely politically based, uh, you know, uh, efforts to purge people out of the country. Uh, they hadn't broken any laws. They just, you know, the government just didn't like the fact that, you know, these were folks who were standing up for the working class and in a militant fashion. Um, so uh, we had hard fights, but we won them. Um, and kept them here just like the West Coast Longshore did. And that really helped also cement our, uh, our, our longtime policy of, of standing up for immigrant workers. And then around the doorway, the, uh, the muralists actually painted themselves in. So that's Jose Guerrero above the door, mm. uh, John Weber, 
uh, just to the right of it, uh, and then uh, one of the uh, other muralists who helped on the mural there, and they're giving hell to the bad guys also. Mm -hmm. So, uh, you know, you can really, uh, when, when there's time for a longer uh, presentation, uh, especially with folks who don't know as much about the labor movement, you can get into a lot of discussion using right. this about class struggle unionism uh, versus business unionism, right. uh, about, you know, the, what happened in the McCarthy era, uh, the the, uh, the CIO, why the CIO formed and how it related to the AFL and then what it meant when everything merged um, and and what we need to be building going forward in terms of a labor movement. So we're talking here about a building that's been near and dear to the hearts of many members of the labor movement and the working class for decades here in Chicago. It, it, it breaks a lot of our hearts to see it go. But I want to emphasize that UE isn't going, and you guys have had some actual real successes and some ongoing struggles right now. And I know you only have a few minutes left, but I'd love to, for you just to give us a little bit of an update about some of those successes and those ongoing fights that, that UE is involved in at the moment. Uh, sure. Well, uh, we've been on a tremendous role organizing, and it's because there's an upsurge in the working class, and those unions who are paying attention uh, can really jump in and organize at scale in a way that we haven't for a long time, as long as you trust the workers to organize themselves, which means it's going to be their organization, which is exactly the way it's supposed to be in a union like UE. It's very threatening in some other unions because then it's, you know, it's not top down at that point. Uh, so uh, it, it uh, but, but for UE, it's working uh, wonderfully right now. We've organized over 25,000 workers in the last year and a half. Uh, the great bulk of them graduate workers, but also uh, some industrial workers and, and other areas too. And, and uh, uh, you know, it's gonna form a nice base to do further organizing from. Um, and we're also, you know, leading militant fights uh, on behalf of those who are already organized and we've been getting some good contract settlements. And right now we're in a, uh, a big fight with uh, one of our biggest employers, Wabtech. It used to be the uh, uh, General Electric Transportation Division uh, in Erie, Pennsylvania, a huge factory making locomotives. Uh, we're fighting to make sure that the locomotives of the future that we need, that what we call green locomotives, that will no longer be polluting diesel locomotives, that they get built there, that they get built union, that the place get expanded, um, but that it be decent wages and benefits. And you know, when the new company took over four years ago, uh, they pushed some not great terms onto the uh, uh, local that you know the local kind of grudgingly accepted and agreed to give the company the benefit of the doubt initially. Uh, to see how things worked out, it, you know, whenever you're going into a first contract uh, with an employer, it's uh, it, 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 you, you rarely end up with exactly what you want. Uh, it became very clear that this company was going to be abusive. Uh, it didn't even uh, follow the terms of the contract as had been agreed to. Um, and uh, and then when inflation set in the way that it did, the, the wage package that it been agreed to in particular the lower starting wages and and long time ramp up uh, for uh, newer hires uh, was going to become an issue at the time that the contract was bargained it wasn't expected that we'd be seeing new hires anytime soon uh, but eventually uh, uh, it uh, you know they did start doing some hiring over the last year or so and and it's just not a good pay rate for people at this point and we're fighting to get that improved. Uh, also, and, and to deal with the abuses in the shop, we're looking to get back what we had under the GE national contract, which was the right to strike over grievances. Mm. 
very rarely exercised, but it was enough to keep the company honest and actually working issues out with us in this new company. Uh, has not been willing. So uh, we've been on strike now a little over a month. Uh, we don't know how long it's going to take, but we know however long it takes, uh, our members are going to stick through it. It's a very, very solid strike. They've got solid community support. Um, and, uh, you know, uh, the story is starting to spread nationally, and we're going to be seeing increasing pressure on this uh, uh, company to come to its senses and to settle. Well, Carl, I really appreciate you taking out so much time here to talk about this building and also what's going on still with UE. Um, again, heartbreaking conversation to have, but thank you for all the, the years that you've hosted Labor Express and Labor Beat over the years and uh, be in the home for so many in the labor movement. Uh, it's uh, been an important part of our DNA to be a, a place where folks can come together and wherever uh, we land, because this neighborhood is gentrifying and it's very hard to sustain ourselves here. Uh, wherever we land, uh, we will continue to be part of those coalitions and encouraging uh, people to be working, uh, working together to build the uh, working class movement that we need. You're listening to Labor Express Radio, Chicago's only labor news and current affairs radio program. You can view photos of the murals that Carl Rosen, UE General President, was discussing in that following segment up at laborexpress.org. Note that I did not get a chance to discuss with Carl the just as impressive and not more so mural that adorns the outside wall of the hall facing out on Monroe Street. I hope to produce a video interview with Carl before the building is sold that will cover that mural on the outside as well as those on the inside. So look for that sometime this fall.